everybody. It's Allie. And welcome to our YR chat for Sunday, December 15th, 2019. You know, I was watching the sun come up this morning. Beautiful, beautiful sunrise at around 7 a.m. this morning. And I thought to myself, I wish that Billy could be here right now to experience this like he said he would three weeks ago before he quit his job when he said that all he wanted out of life was to be with Victoria and the kids and to watch the sun come up and then watch the sun go down on a daily basis. <laughs> I wish that he would have at least had a few minutes to enjoy his independent wealth and life of endless possibilities. And instead, he just went from angry to zen to sitting alone in a bar, drinking and gambling and bemoaning his perfect life. But, believe it or not, chatters, the theme for this week's YNR chat is going to be Allie Eats Crow. Because I think that YNR has finally gotten us somewhere interesting with Billy. Those same voiceovers that I was complaining about last week, I really, really appreciated them this week. I don't know if maybe it was the cool saxophone music that was playing in the background. It was giving me that black and white movie vibe that I liked very much uh, earlier this year when YNR was doing it with Billy, when he was kind of chewing gum and being it was sort of a sexy, cool, intriguing, de almost detective movie vibe. I mean, I loved it before it turned into Billy uh, being murderous and having multiple personalities. The vibe itself was very cool. I think that Jason Thompson pulls that almost... Humphrey Bogart kind of vibe off very, very well. I like his observations about the seedy bar that he's in. Although, I must note to you that that bar was not nearly as seedy as he made it sound. He walked up in that bar saying in his voiceover, this place is filthy. It smells like a wet rag. <laughs> But that place was decorated nicer than my house for Christmas. <laughs> it had this it has this really cool lighting and it has a lot of little kitschy decor pieces all over the place. It has that cool glowing half moon like crescent moon in the background that I'm assuming is the bathroom. <laughs> The only thing that could really even be categorized as filthy about that place was the fact that there were peanut shells all over the place and on the ground. But you get that same thing at the Texas Roadhouse, if anyone has ever been to that restaurant. It's part of the theme. 
I think I was wrong. I'm kind of into it now. And besides that, I'm finally starting to see what the real story is here with Billy. And it's totally relatable. Billy is trapped inside of his own dollhouse. Oh, how I wish that we just would have had a few more weeks of seeing Billy's life uh, alone in the dollhouse, unemployed, maybe enjoying a few of those sunrises, getting a little bit of a taste of inner peace, but also I would have liked to have seen him playing with the kids more, making their lunches, vacuuming the carpet, waiting for Victoria to get home at night, because then I think we would have had the full picture of why Billy is so exhausted in his perfect little dollhouse world. We didn't get the transition period, but now that we have arrived at the main story, I really, really like this. I think that the imagery and the symbolism of Billy putting together Katie's dollhouse late one night, two weeks before Christmas, before he even needs to do it, drinking a beer and talking to himself, that scene was perfect, yes, including the voiceovers. In that one scene, everything about Billy and what he's going through and feeling, it all just coalesced for me in one single instant. Billy is trying to build himself a dollhouse to squeeze his doll life into when he is not a doll. Perfection is the opposite of good. Sometimes we only think we know what we want. Sometimes we we only think we're working toward our vision of perfection and then once we achieve it, it's not quite what we had in mind. All of those feelings coming from Billy right now are valid. He just should be sharing them with his partner. The thing I don't really like about this story is the weird implication that Billy is only building the dollhouse and going along with the dollhouse life because it's what Victoria wants. And there's almost an implication that she's too busy to notice. I don't like that because I don't think it's true. Victoria has offered to help Billy. Victoria would do anything to help Billy. Yes, she has her own life and she has her own responsibilities, but she has given him more than one opportunity to talk to her about it. And for some reason, he just won't do it. Instead, I think he's got this bubbling resentment that's just under, underneath the surface. I mean, he is going out behind her back. He's seeking out what it is he really wants behind her back. He's paying her lip service. He's making these very subtle 
remarks about himself and their life that she's she's not fully picking up on because she doesn't know his internal dialogue. He's not sharing that internal dialogue with her. He was poo-pooing Victoria's surprise Christmas trip. And really what it all boils down to is he didn't want to go on her trip because he wasn't involved in the planning of that trip. So he lies and he leaves a really nice dinner that they were having together so that he can go to the gym. He tells her that he's going to the gym and then he goes to the bar to sit alone and sulk and follow through with all of the patterns of behavior that he knows are not going to make him happy. He knows drinking and gambling are not going to make him happy, and yet he goes and, and, and pursues that behavior anyway, lying to Victoria about it. And she has no idea. Remarkably, she has no idea. I mean, Victoria is waiting at home when he gets home later that night. And he says that he's, he's just come from the gym. He's ready to go take a shower. And Victoria offers to help him with that shower. You know, help, help wash his back. Hmm. <laughs> Victoria, don't you find it weird that Billy doesn't smell like a sweat sock. He smells like beer and smoke. I get that Billy has lost his sense of control, but he, he's given it all away. Victoria has all of the control in the relationship, but he's let her have it, and he's locking her out when she's asking him what she can do to make his life, to make their life better. Instead of letting her help him, he's locking her out. She's so willing. And if Billy is not opening up to Victoria, is he opening up to his therapist? Is he opening up to anyone other than Amanda? I asked you guys last week if you are getting the vibe that we are on the verge of a new romance for Billy and Amanda. 83% of you feel that it is just friends. And I agree. I mean, although I will admit, Billy and Amanda do seem to be spending more time together these days then Billy and Amanda are, are spending time with their partners. We're seeing more scenes with Billy and Amanda than we are with Billy and Victoria, or certainly Amanda and Nate. And there was sort of a strange vibe between them at the very end of Friday's show. Amanda tells him, oh, you probably should get home. Yes, you have the perfect life. And still he stays. I, I didn't necessarily interpret that as romantic, but there almost is something just, there's a connection there. There's absolutely a connection there. Um, but I, that doesn't necessarily mean it would be sexual, although 17% of you were picking up on love vibes there. I don't know. Billy had said to himself in voiceover <laughs> that being at that bar 
makes him feel safe and anonymous. And I think that's what's true for Amanda too. Safe and anonymous. I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing the conversation that Billy and Amanda are going to be having next week because this week we got a little bit of insight into Billy and where his head is at. And I think we are next week, um, in fact, on Monday, I think we are going to get a little bit more insight into who Amanda is. Who is Amanda Sinclair? Well, she's Hillary's long-lost twin sister, of course. I feel like Devon never gets enough slack from the people in his life. He has had a dramatic year and the trauma just keeps on coming. I mean, whoever the mastermind behind this whole fake will nonsense is, they hired a mysterious woman who just so happens to look exactly like Devon's beloved dead wife. Whoever did this had to have done this with the intention of rattling him, and it has worked. He is rattled. And Elena acts like he's overreacting. Well, I will say, continuing on with this week's YNR chat theme, I am going to backtrack some of my previous comments about Elena because now I do like that YNR showed us Elena's insecurity about Amanda, even if it was only for a week. But now they're resetting her back to being the nice girl that I was starting to like, and I'm happy for that. I liked that Elena had some self-awareness, that she was letting her jealousy of Amanda get the better of her, and she actually took the time to approach Amanda and apologize. I mean, does it, it's so, it's almost like the exact opposite of the relationship that Hillary had with Lily, where Lily was just constantly pouncing on Hillary. And now we were getting ready to set up that same dynamic where Amanda is constantly getting pounced on by Elena, but Elena pulls herself back, says that she wants to give Amanda a chance to be here on her own merits and show who she is and not jump to conclusions about what she may or may not have been involved when and in. So I, I really appreciated the sit down that Elena had with Amanda and Elena suggests that maybe Devon needs to do the same. Maybe Devon needs to just give Amanda a chance. <laughs> Oh, the irony of that coming from Elena when she is probably going to be encouraging Devon to get closer to Amanda and it's going to end up to her own detriment. But I guess it showed how, you know, showed her evolution there. Devon also had two other important conversations this week. First with Mariah. And I liked 
getting an, a sense again of Devon and Mariah's relationship. Mariah is a good neutral third party for Devon to talk to. And he did talk. He said that he loves Elena. He wants to be with Elena, but he also wants some space to figure things out, to get his head straight. And that seems totally reasonable, but Mariah does warn Devon that if he pushes Elena too far away, he's going to end up with a whole lot more space than he intended. I loved that advice. It was a good, needed warning from Mariah to Devon, unlike some other warnings that we're going to talk about <laughs> this week that Mariah is issuing. I was a little annoyed, though, by Devon getting harangued again by Nate, though. I mean, Nate is fully on team Amanda and Elena, and he was pouncing on Devon to try to get him to talk about the problem. I mean, I think Devon needed it, but someone also needs to be ready to talk. Um... I guess I can't complain because it worked. Devon did open up a bit and he talked a little bit about his unresolved feelings over Hillary's death and why he doesn't feel comfortable bringing Elena in on that. He doesn't want Elena to feel like she's trying to compete with a ghost, which would be absolutely impossible. I just was a little annoyed <laughs> by... Nate's approach with the whole thing. I'm thinking, haven't we seen this before? Only now, instead of Nate and Anna haranguing Devon, it, it's been kind of Nate and Elena. Of course, he's not over Hillary's death. Devon says to Nate, I feel like it's been a year. I shouldn't still be dealing with this. And at the same time, I'm thinking, it's only been a year. Of course you're still dealing with this. Just as Devon was starting to open up and come around to seeing Nate and Elena and Mariah's point of view, Victor stops by. Apparently, Victor's P.I. finally got around to investigating Amanda Sinclair. Over a month after Victor asked him to, I think Victor needs to fire this guy. It took that private investigator a month to figure out that Amanda had hired an online reputation management company to wipe any traces of her life online. <laughs> I feel like if I were a private investigator, I could have figured that out in a few days. <laughs> I think I figured out this week, though, that the real problem I've been having with getting on board with our new writing team it's just that they're getting where they need to go. It's happening way slower than I would like. I feel like I'm anticipating them hitting their point 
at least one to two weeks before they're actually hitting it. So maybe it's not as much me having trouble with the stories as me having trouble with the speed of the stories. I felt like I'm waiting too long to get to the punch. But the punch is good when you get there. I loved Abby getting where she needed to get last week. And I loved and appreciated um, the scenes between Devon and Victor this week. It was phenomenal. Victor was telling Devon how much he loved and respected Catherine. I needed to hear that. I think Devon needed to hear that. And then I laughed when Victor told Devon how much you really pissed him off. That Colin and this woman, Amanda, scammed him out of his money. (laughs) Uh. Well, I think we as the audience know that that's a little bit of a leap, though. We're privy to more information than both Victor and Devon are. I mean, we know that you can't just assume that Amanda was knowingly involved in Colin's scheme just because she had her identity wiped. I mean, Victor did mention that Amanda's identity was wiped at around the same time that the new Will pages popped up, but that could be a coincidence because we as the audience know that... Amanda is running from someone or something, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it has anything to do with Colin or with Devon. But now that Devon is armed with this information, he is going to launch guns ablazing at Amanda. <laughs> How dare she be so beautiful and so deceitful at the same time! <laughs> Oh, but then, you know, Devon is also going to be eating a big old plate of crow when he does finally find out that Amanda is not a villain, but a victim. And here is a teeny tiny little spoiler seed that landed at my feet about Monday's show chatters. And if you don't want to hear it, just skip ahead a little bit. On Monday, Amanda reveals that she was an orphan. Oh, well, boom! There you go! (laughs) Little orphan Amanda, the girl that looks like Hillary from Madison, an orphan. Well, (laughs) Hillary had a twin. (laughs) we have arrived at the point we have arrived at the punch it just took forever to get here (laughs) Hillary had a twin sister she never knew about adopted out or orphaned away at birth (laughs) and so the polite thing for Devon to do would be to embrace Amanda as family. She is Hillary's sister, after all. Embrace her as family, move her on into the penthouse, fall in love with her, have babies, and live happily ever after. It's the right thing to do. (laughs) 
I'd say that Abby and Chance are going to start working on making some babies any day now. <laughs> Those two, they are positively smoking. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be like smoke rolling out from underneath one of those Grand Phoenix hotel room doors <laughs> any day now. Chance knew all along that Abby was behind the Grand Phoenix Jewel Thief Ruse. And Chance was so turned on by Abby's mind. While Abby was so turned on by Chance's mind. <laughs> And so they decided they would really like to just start working together a little more often. <laughs> you know, because they're so attracted mentally to each other. Mm-hmm. In fact, Abby was so, so uh, turned on by Chance's mind that she offered him a job as the head of security at the hotel, I was crossing my fingers that that man would say no, and thank goodness he did. I was like, please, Chance, do not quit your FBI job to go work at a hotel that's owned by the girl you practically just met and are interested in dating. That spells disaster for you in six months when we're all over it and you guys are broken up. I mean, you don't need to be employed by her to have sex with her. <laughs> you can still have the sex and keep your FBI job. But it sounds like Chance does not even want that FBI job anymore. He wants to give up his job saving the world so that he can stay in Genoa City, probably take a job with the GCPD and get to know Abby a little better. <laughs> oh, I wonder how well Abby will get to know him because Phyllis this week picked up on her mission to pester Chance about Vegas some more. And wow, what a bombshell revelation. After all these weeks of taunting both Chance and Adam, Phyllis has finally revealed to us that what she saw in Vegas was Chance carrying a gun and a duffel bag. Oh, gasp! <laughs> I mean, the gun, whatever, but the duffel bag. Now there's a scandal for you. What could have been in that duffel bag? Money? Was it Cash? Stacks of cash? Was it jewels? Was it piles of jewels? Or was it eight heads? We'll never know! Phyllis tries to hire Amanda to sue Abby for wrongful termination and... <laughs> 
Amanda turns down Phyllis's case due to Phyllis's reputation. Gee, Amanda doesn't seem to like people doing internet searches to find out about her reputation and then making snap judgments about her, but Amanda doesn't mind doing the same thing to Phyllis. I guess the difference is that Amanda is clearly running from something and she doesn't want to take a case that's going to draw un any unnecessary attention to herself. Um, and Phyllis, Phyllis is kind of a, a lightning rod for drama. <laughs> but Phyllis doesn't know that. She doesn't know that that's what it is. And Phyllis was really hurt by Amanda's rejection. It was everything that Phyllis was talking to Nick about last week. Like, people only seeing <laughs> her actions and her hard outer shell and all of the stuff that she projects out to the world. She seems to be wanting people to see her in a different light or wanting to present herself in a, in a deeper way. I'm not sure what it is. Phyllis seems to be on the edge of something. Or maybe she is just on the edge of Nick's bed. Is that it? Is, is that what it's all leading up to? Uh, Phyllis probably doesn't really want to change. But she might want to get into Nick's sheets. Hmm. They sure do have a whole lot of chemistry between them. I can't lie. I loved Phyllis walking into the coffee house on Friday and seeing that Nick was bummed out. And then, like, beating on that jukebox and ranting and raving with all of her Phyllis-like charm just to cheer Nick up. I mean, good! As far as I'm concerned, I think it's good. Nick needs some cheering up. I say spread him some Christmas cheer, Phyllis. This man needs someone to jingle his bells. Phyllis tried talking to Summer about her feelings of rejection and her projections and her sense of self-empowerment and all of the things she was talking to Nick about last week. But Summer just can't understand. Summer doesn't have the same type of life that Phyllis has had. Phyllis even said, not all of us were born Newmans. And sometimes I even wonder if you're my daughter. It's probably... Uh, hard for Phyllis to hear Summer trying to ask her mom to be a better person. I think Summer wants to be Phyllis's cheerleader, but Phyllis isn't hearing it. Phyllis doesn't want to change. In fact, she said that. I don't want to change. It's probably hard also for moms to take advice from their daughter or to really embrace how their daughter sees them. It's like after you've changed somebody's diapers, it's hard to see them as an equal. And maybe that's part of what the problem is. Um, I think all Summer sees is all the ways that her mom is living the life that she doesn't want for herself and all of the mistakes that Phyllis has made that Summer doesn't want to repeat for herself. And all Phyllis sees is her baby. Um, 
you know, and, and, and wanting to also save her from mistakes that she's made. Phyllis is very worried about her baby, fooling herself into thinking that she's over Kyle. Phyllis has mentioned on more than one occasion that she's very concerned about Summer's feelings for Kyle, and I kind of wish that everyone would stop reminding Summer that she has secret, unresolved feelings for Kyle. Like, Phyllis... Mariah, even Victor in a very subtle way. Summer hasn't done anything inappropriate. Lots of people have unresolved feelings, especially about relationships. You just gotta swallow those down and move on. (laughs) It's not helpful to have someone reminding you of those unresolved feelings that you can't do anything about every five minutes. And I'll tell you what, I thought it was totally inappropriate for Mariah to go gossiping to Lola about the fact that Summer and Theo broke up. Ugh, that galled me. Mariah was pretty much implying, although denying that she was implying, that Lola had better keep an eye on Kyle now that Summer is single. Because you never know what Summer might be planning. That is so, so rude. Who would say that to a newlywed? I'm sure that Mariah thought she was being helpful. But nosy and presumptuous also. Summer hasn't done anything wrong. We haven't even seen any hints of Summer doing something wrong. So... As far as I'm concerned, I think any problems that end up popping up in Kyle and Lola's relationship are not going to have anything to do with Summer. It's almost like the paranoia will destroy you. I did find it interesting, though, that I think it was Thursday's show ended with two separate celebration scenes. Theo and Lola were sharing a friendly toast over their careers and their lives and and Lola potentially wanting a family someday, while at the same time, Kyle and Summer were sharing a toast celebrating Kyle's new CEO title. No, wait! (laughs) Co-CEO! Let's not get that confused. The co-part is very important for Jack. Jack said, let's not put me out to pastor just yet. (laughs) I will accept co-CEO, but that is all. (laughs) Yes, Kyle gave Jack a pretty firm ultimatum. He said he did not appreciate being demoted at Jabot as a reward for his hard work where everybody else got promoted. I mean, come on. Kyle is like, what, 26 years old? He should totally be a CEO by now. (laughs) Oh, the nerve. The nerve. (laughs) Jack totally gave in to his demand, though. It was very similar to what Victoria did with Victor, like, give me your job or I'm going to go find another place to work. And obviously, neither father wanted that to be the outcome. These are family businesses. They're meant to be run by family. And Jack is especially sentimental about the family business. So, 
Kyle kind of had Jack's neck in advice. But, of course, Victoria had worked for decades at Newman Enterprises. We've seen Kyle working there for a couple of years. Uh, but Jack decided he's, he. I mean, what's he going to do? Let his son walk out the door? No, he gives in to his demand. He says he's going to share the CEO title with Kyle on a trial basis. But I think Kyle sees this as more permanent. I think Kyle is intending to make this his permanent job and throw himself into this new job. Meanwhile... Things have slowed down and gotten into a more comfortable, more creative space for Lola. She's starting to think about things like um, ex- having a family. You know, she's kind of settling down at the same time that things are ramping up for Kyle. And it's also a time when Kyle is probably going to be spending a lot more time at his office with his ex-wife. I I mean, I don't know. I don't think that Summer is in a place where she's going to try to seduce Kyle or something. I think Kyle's visceral reaction to Phyllis and her actions, I think that's really more telling about how hard she's fighting to not give in to those mistakes that her mom has made. I think Summer wants to be a good girl. I think Summer wants to give Kyle a space, but I think she also wants a career for herself, and I think she also feels that she wants to be a good friend to Kyle. So it's possible that Summer and Kyle are going to just simply find themselves having more in common with each other, like over their careers and over their similar station in life. And that's going to draw them together naturally. And probably the same thing for Theo and Lola. I don't think that Theo is actively chasing after Lola, but I think we're seeing signs that maybe Theo wants something similar to what Lola thinks that she wants with her life. You know, a, like a stable partner and a family and a fulfilling career. That's something that Theo and Lola now share in common. Or am I just wrong about Theo? I think if anyone is poised to do some mischief here, it's not Summer, it's... Theo. And what was it about that scene where he was rifling through some papers on Jack's desk? Summer caught him and questioned him about it. And he said that he was only there looking for some paper that Jack had left him. But Summer was suspicious enough of what Theo could be up to to have mentioned it to Kyle. So is Summer being paranoid Maybe trying to score some brownie points with Kyle for mentioning it and, and also joining the, the, the anti-Theo movement, like joining in on the whole, um, you know, being hard on Theo the way that Kyle is. Or is Theo an actual threat? Is Summer paranoid or is Theo up to something? I think that's a good poll question for this week. Do you think that Theo is up to something shady? 
do you trust Theo at this point? Has YNR built up enough goodwill for him at this point to 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 believe that he's legitimate? Or do you think he's up to something? YRChat.com. That's the poll question for the week. And I don't know. I feel like unless we start to see some scenes of Theo cozying up to Jack suspiciously or making some overt moves on Lola, I seem to want to believe that Theo is legit for now. Chelsea and Nick, they have been trying to just pick things up right where they left off before the hostage situation, before she moved out. But how can you go back? Uh, They've taken 10 steps back. You can't go from living together to now dating again while she lives with her ex-husband. And Nick finally says to Chelsea, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Can you keep doing this? I, I, I can feel Nick just going through the motions of support for Chelsea's decisions, moving in with Adam, doing everything she's doing. But he reaches a point where he cannot hold his tongue any longer and it, they're out on a date trying to pretend like they're still a couple. And he can't help himself from telling her that he doesn't think it's right to let Connor dictate her living arrangements. He doesn't think she should be letting Connor lead the way. But Chelsea's argument is uh, the only time that I've seen any progress in my mentally disturbed son is when his family, meaning his mom and his dad, are together incomplete. Plus, Chelsea doesn't really appreciate Nick judging her parenting decisions. Oh, the look on her face. (laughs) When she said, uh, parenting advice from the guy who let his kids think that grandpa was dead. I screen capped it. <laughs> Ooh. You know, it's a tough call because I can see both sides, and I think that they're both right. I think Nick and Chelsea have just hit an impasse. I can see where Nick's coming from. I can see where she's coming from. And it's just not tenable anymore, the relationship. Sometimes you got the chemistry, but you don't got the timing. And this is one of them. Um, Chelsea's obligations just and her focus just need to be on Connor. She does, in fact, get a phone call from Adam and has to leave their date. It was actually just in the nick of time because it was weird anyway. So Victoria comes over and sits at Nick's table after Chelsea leaves and they kind of talk to one another. I really liked that, by the way. I just liked seeing Victoria and Nick being brother and sister. It's similar to how we saw Victoria and Abby being sisters last week. I just like getting a sense that these people are related and that they're family and that they can talk to each other. And I thought that Victoria 
stealing bites of Nick's ice cream sundae just because it tastes better. She says it tastes better. That felt so real. That felt like such a thing that a sister would do to a brother. I'm going to eat yours because it tastes better. <laughs> when it was probably the exact same thing. Although I did happen to notice that Victoria was strategically digging in only to the lower calorie whipped cream portion of the ice cream sundae that was sitting on top of the higher calorie ice cream on the bottom. <laughs> she was going for the whipped cream, not the ice cream. Couldn't help but notice that. I mean, I'm surprised that she decided to eat anything at all. I'm surprised she didn't decide to go hit the gym with Billy after eating that three bites of whipped cream. <laughs> Only she would have headed to the gym to go find Billy, only to find out that he wasn't there. Connor is such an awesome little brat. <laughs> I'm loving this kid. The way he refused to let Adam and Chelsea win when they were playing Go Fish. And then when Sharon tried to play Old Maid with him and he just took those cards and tossed them right off the couch. No thanks, lady. I don't want to play Old Maid with you. <laughs> In fact, Connor suddenly does not want Sharon around at all. Uh, in case, lady, you can't do the math, mom and dad and me make three. Not mom and dad and me and dad's sexy Sharon. <laughs> that makes four and that don't work. <laughs> Honestly, I think Connor is playing this all wrong. A kid this age should be absolutely grateful to have a hot therapist like Sharon. <laughs> But instead, he sees her as a threat to his family, and he is going to do everything he can to get rid of her. He even makes up a lie and tells Adam after his session with Sharon that Sharon has been saying mean things to him. <sighs> what a wonderful little manipulator we have on our hands here. And I am so intrigued to see how Adam and Chelsea will continue to handle this. It is a delicate balance. As they said, you know, do you, do you deny Connor's desire? Do, you know, I mean, do you deny his desire um, or do you give him what he wants and then teach him how to win from you? It's a real, it's really hard. I don't know what the answer is. I suppose it's Somewhere in the middle, you can't give the kid everything that he wants. Oh, boy. I think Chelsea was starting to realize the validity of Nick's argument toward the end of the week. And then she got into an argument with Adam about whether or not she should just move out, whether or not this was the right strategy for Connor at all. I mean, giving in to Connor's every desire and to his... Um, <laughs> illusions about his mom and dad's relationship, that could create even bigger problems. I mean, the more they let Connor think that they're a little close-knit family, the worse it could be um, when Connor discovers 
that they are not a close-knit little family with mom and dad living happily ever after. Well, unless that ends up happening. <laughs> unless they end up falling in love in the process. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that seems to be working with Connor is when his mom and his dad are together. So, I mean, who I don't know. Maybe little tiny Tim Connor would start to feel even better if Adam and Chelsea were to share a bed together, too. God bless us, everyone. Nikki is very interested in Nick's relationship with Chelsea, and she suggested to Victor this week that maybe she should just go and talk to Chelsea and set her straight. And, and, and Victor says, oh, what, what, what was that? I could swear that somebody told me a couple thousand times not to interfere in our children's relationships. Was that you? <laughs> Touche, Victor. Touche. <laughs> I thought it was really nice just to see Victor and Nikki relaxing in those scenes. I really cherish these moments of Victor and Nikki just enjoying life and showing their growth and sharing the knowledge that they've acquired. At this stage, I don't necessarily want to see Victor and Nikki engrossed in all of the show's drama and plot points. I kind of just want to see them giving guidance and support, and I want to see it more often. Like when Victor went to go give unsolicited relationship advice to Summer the very next day. <laughs> but I feel like that was at least the kind of advice you want to get. It's about, you know, it's, well, in my experience, here are the lessons that I've learned, and I'm not going to tell you specifically what to do, but I'm going to give you kind of a generalized um, encouragement. And he was acknowledging of her promotion. He was you know, encouraging her to keep looking for that special someone. And who knows, maybe that special someone is someone she already knows. And then Victor asks for Summer's forgiveness over about the whole fake death scandal thing. I mean, boom, boom, boom. Triple grandpa win for Victor. It was a win-win-win for me. I, I loved it. I loved seeing Victor roaming the halls of Jabot. The way that Eric Braden entered that scene through the elevator, and he was kind of walking around the empty halls of Jabot, looking around like, is anybody going to stop me from doing this? I am Victor Newman, and I am uh, walking around in Jabot. Like, I'm surprised that I even got through security. Should I be here? <laughs> I just think that Eric Braden is such a master. Nobody told him to do that. The way he was walking into the scene... It was just, he knows this character. He knows exactly what he was doing. He was entering Jack's office, and even though he was interacting with Summer, you could see that he was still giving looks toward Jack's desk. Like, it has seeped into his DNA at this point that maybe he should look around the office to see if there's any information that he could use to his advantage or use to Jack's disadvantage. Can you believe that just beneath 
Amanda's calm, cool exterior. There is a platoon of hamsters just ferociously spinning on a wheel. <laughs> that was our who said it quote from last week. The answer was Amanda. Henry, Jamie, Shakona, Jillian, Martha, Nancy, Marion, and Diana all guessed that one right. I thought that was going to be pretty hard. Here's a hard, here's definitely a hard one. You guys are going to have some challenge with this one, I think. Who said it? Protein. I'm down with that. <laughs> I like these weird quotes that just kind of come out of nowhere. I like to I like to drop a quote that I know is going to make you go, "Huh? Who said that? <laughs> who said it?" If you think you know who said protein, I'm down with that. Then you should go to yrchat.com to leave your guess. And if you get it right, then I will give you your shout out on next week's YNR chat. Oh, can we talk a little bit about our Genoa City Christmas decor? We have decked the halls this week. It feels like it is coming a little bit late, but we've had all of the preemptions. I mean, we had a preemption this week, but it feels like Christmas just popped up in Genoa City this week, and I absolutely love it. I really enjoyed looking around at all of our sets, uh, sparkling, especially society. Society was positively sparkling. I felt like I was inside of a glass of champagne at society. <laughs> And I also have to mention that I really loved the display of, I think maybe it was, was fried plantains, sitting in the center of the table in this really cool cone-shaped glass or container. Um, it was in the at Society in the scene with Jack and Kyle. Right between them was this cone-shaped silver platter or cone-shaped platter with, I guess, like fried plantains coming out of it. I thought it was beautiful visually, but also isn't that kind of a, 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 a Cuban, maybe, a type of food to work with plantains? So I thought that sort of brought in a little bit of Lola's cooking, made me feel like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is a... a, a uh, 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 um, uh, a restaurant with a Cuban flair. Um, but yes, I just thought that society looked so, so beautiful. And of course, we got this, this shots of the uh, outdoor, outdoor hallway of society where it was just covered in snow and leaves and it was so beautiful. Uh, I also really liked crimson lights giving us the opposite of that, that it's sort of kitschy. It's like society gives me a new modern Christmas vibe, but then crim crimson lights gives me that kitschy vintage vibe, which also usually we see at Sharon's house. I guess that's just Sharon's style. <laughs> Sharon loves a kitschy Christmas. Uh, and then we also had the ranch looking very cozy and festive. I think, uh, I just love Christmas in Genoa City. It makes me actually feel like the holidays are here. Even Adam's house had, a, like, pine needles lining the staircase. And Gary mentioned, did Adam go out and buy that plaid pillow with the snowflakes on it? <laughs> 
I noticed that plaid pillow with the snowflakes on it too because it did seem a little like, whoa, this is Adam's version of decorating for Christmas. <laughs> It was mostly understated. He just did a little garland up the staircase plus snowflake pillow. <laughs> Where did he go to buy those? He went to the home store to buy those. Um, Gary also says, will the Grand Phoenix Hotel be featuring pink Christmas trees with red balls only? <laughs> you know, it's funny you should say that because the Grand Phoenix is so pink, pink, pink. But I noticed this year that um, the Grand Phoenix had a, a white tree with all green balls. <laughs> they did not go pink, but they went complimentary to pink. Green balls on a white tree. And then at Society, I think it was a white tree with gold balls. I love both of those uh, um, color schemes. White trees have kind of made a comeback. They were in and then out, and now I think they're back in again. Nice silver tree. I thought I, I thought it was um, beautiful. You know I love all of this. Um, but yeah, the, the Grand Phoenix looked really nice too. Sherrod says, I have a feeling that Phyllis might just set the Grand Phoenix on fire, which of course means that somebody has to die, i.e. Tessa. Oh, you think Phyllis is going to start a fire? Oh my goodness. What did we call her last week? Dragon Lady. <laughs> Superplex has coined her the Dragon Lady. You think the Dragon Lady is going to open up her nostrils and set fire to the Grand Phoenix? Oh my goodness. That would sure give us some drama. Talk about some chestnuts roasting on an open fire. That'd be pretty good. You know, we didn't really have a whole lot of drama for sweeps week for November sweeps. So you never know. I mean, something could, I mean, the Grand Phoenix is very disaster prone. So I would say that is a possibility. Boy, I just think, I still wonder though, that if, if Phyllis is trying to turn a new leaf and be a good girl though now, I wonder if she would want to spoil her chances with Nick by setting fire to the hotel. <laughs> But, oh, you think Tessa could die in that fire. You know, it is a good way to uh, get rid of some characters that they're not using, but I don't wish that for Tessa. Uh, but I could see it happening. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, maybe Phyllis will, would light the match and get caught inside of the hotel, and then Nick would come rescue her. Sandra says, I'm getting turned off by Phyllis's behavior lately. It's just every scene. Phyllis is in. It's over the top. And even a chat with Summer turns into a sideshow. Oh, I hear you, Sandra. I mean, even though I am a really big Phyllis fan, specifically, I, I, I can't believe it, but I'm a really big fan of Michelle Stafford's Phyllis. The thing is, I do totally understand because how you're feeling right now about Phyllis being big and boisterous and just everything being over the top, that's exactly how I felt about Phyllis toward the end of Michelle Stafford's run on the show last time. I was kind of happy to get rid of her. <laughs> And, and as you well know, I was not happy about Gina going out and Michelle coming back in. I thought, ugh, it's going to be that all over again. And for some reason, it's working for me this time. I don't know why. I would love to know what the what is the magic formula. What is different for me with Michelle Stafford this time around? Because it's, it's not bugging me, but I entirely understand why it's bugging you because I've been there. 
Ugh. Let's talk about uh, Kyle. <laughs> Shakona says, Allie, I know you thought that Victoria was self-entitled, but oh wow, the gall of Kyle. At least Victoria has earned her stripes. She was working at Newman Enterprises since I was a baby. <laughs> and Leslie says, no company would make somebody with Kyle's age and experience a CEO. That only happens if you create the company yourself like a Mark Zuckerberg. Not only that, but why is it so wishy-washy with the rules at Jabot? One storyline, we have a fight for board votes, and then the next, Jack alone can make these decisions. He was willing to let Jabot be destroyed rather than let Ashley be CEO, and Ashley left as a result. But she doesn't have a say on who is CEO, and Lauren and Tracy and whoever. Kyle voted against Jack as CEO. But Jack trusts him now. Do Kyle and Lola have a prenup? Next thing we know, she'll be uh, have a board seat a la Jill. <laughs> well, I have to say uh, to Shakona and Leslie's comment, it is such entitlement that this young guy thinks he should be a CEO by now. And I love Leslie's point that, that that's really something that only exists if you create it yourself. I mean, anything other than that is entitlement. But you're so right about the wishy-washy rules of who can be the CEO of Jabot. Uh, can you see? Maybe. Lola becoming the CEO someday. She has her shoulder pads and she comes up in there with some big hair and all of a sudden we see a, a, a total change in Lola's character and she is fighting for that CEO chair. <laughs> that would be a fun Christmas episode, wouldn't it? To just see what it would look like to have a total change in, in Lola's character. <laughs> Make her become Jill and want to fight for the, the, the throne. I would love that. For like a fantasy Christmas episode. That'd be fun. Well, again, speaking of uh, Christmas, Kamna says, A few weeks ago, I saw Christian LeBlanc post a photo on Instagram with Lauren and Fenn. Does anyone know if the actor who plays Fenn is returning to the show? I always thought it was a bit odd that he won the Daytime Emmy and then left. If he did return, that could be an interesting twist at Jabot. Perhaps he and Theo could strike up a friendship, which would drive Kyle nuts. Well, yes, uh, Fenn is coming back for Christmas. He's going to be here to uh, spread some holiday joy for his parents. Probably not so much for Kyle. But, you know, it does uh, make me remember that YNR sure was setting up a triangle there for Kyle and Lola and Fenn. And then Fenn just got the boot... And they brought Theo in instead. It's kind of true. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was the actor's choice. He, by the way, was nominated for, a, 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 I think, Outstanding uh, Younger Actor for 2019. Did not win, uh, but he, he was Emmy nominated. Uh, maybe he chose to move on. I'm not sure. Maybe YNR chose not to really do anything with the character. Because, you know, when Fenn was on, they didn't know what they were doing with him. They were kind of building up. Uh, uh, he was, had fawn eyes for Summer, but then he had fawn eyes for Lola, and he was a real thorn in Kyle's side. But then they shifted him over into Anna's storyline and went in a different direction with Kyle and Lola. And then I think when things fizzled out for Anna's character... 
Ben just kind of got the chop too. But I think we are going to be seeing him at least for an episode of, at Christmas. I wonder if they're going to mention the fact that when last we heard of Fen, he was dr dealing drugs. Adam had blackmailed Michael with some photos of Fen dealing drugs. And then I think, uh, I, I want to say... Michael and Lauren went off and got him successfully into rehab. <laughs> so is he going to come back reformed? Are we going to talk a little bit about Fen's sobriety when he comes back? That would be my guess. That's got to be pretty soon, right? Boy, with these preemptions, I wonder what they're doing behind the scenes to make sure that those Christmas episodes still align with Christmas. Hmm. Well, let's shift on over to... Talking about Devon now. Ellen says, I really don't like the rewrite of Devon as this hot-headed, easily tricked grouch. This isn't the savvy, dynamic, young empire builder that Devon used to be. Lionar needs to keep Devon's personality in line with Neil's sentimental, wise, caring, introspective, loving, and generous spirit. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I, I, I love that. I agree with that. I love that description of Neil. And I agree. I, I love all of those qualities coming from Devon, too. Um, you were kind of mentioning how quick Devon was to jump on that information that Victor gave him in the envelope without really even reading it. Um, you know, I think that Devon is looking for someone to blame. I think Devon's looking for a reason to make that Amanda for, you know, maybe a multitude of reasons. I think that he probably wants to create an excuse to have any kind of interaction with Amanda subconsciously, but I also think he's wanting to blame somebody for his own mistakes. Um, kind of like how Elena wanted to blame somebody else for her you know, feelings of being distant from her relationship with Devon. You know, speaking of Neil, though, I mean, Neil wasn't always 100% wise and loving and caring. I mean, Neil definitely had his struggles, too. Neil was grouchy sometimes, too. I mean, I guess I'm just thinking of when he was struggling with his alcoholism. And, I mean, that was right after Drusilla died. I guess if you think about it, maybe it is a little similar, though, because Drusilla died and then Neil became a miserable alcoholic. And that didn't exactly happen with Devon. But I tell you, I do remember being like, Ugh, Neil, get over it. Can we please pull this out of the alcoholism spiral? It was hard watching that day in and day out for a long time. Um, but he ultimately did pull himself up out of it. And he became that sentimental, wise, caring, introspective individual who, that we remember him as now. But I think at least in the years following Neil's death, it would have been nice to see Devon continue to embody those qualities. Although in the overall, I think that Wyanar's not doing a great job with character consistency across the board. I mean, we've seen a lot of that personal personality change with a lot of the characters, and Devon is definitely included there. They did a service, disservice to the character and have him in having him be so like easily duped out of all his money. It's not a good look on Devon. I would have preferred to have just never traveled down this will route. <laughs> but I think they did it all so that they could bring back this Amanda. They needed some kind of high drama to bring back um, uh, Amanda or uh, an Amanda twin. <laughs> 
Oh, this is going to be so good. As soon as Devon gets confirmation that Amanda is not his enemy, but she is family, he's going to view her as family now. Amanda's going to be totally on the in, and it is going to drive Elena crazy. Jamie says, hey, whoa there, Elena. Your crazy is starting to show in public. <laughs> yeah, I guess it could be viewed that way, too. I mean, picking up on this idea of, of why are having a little bit of trouble with character consistency, Elena sure did flip back and forth pretty quickly, didn't she? I mean, she she was nice girl, and then she was mean girl, and now she's back to being nice girl again, and it can kind of make her look a little crazy, right? Oh, see, I never know what to blame on the writers and and what what is intentional. I'm struggling to know what is there what what's intentional versus what's an accent. Maybe it's a little of both. <laughs> what's intentional versus what is negligible? No, neglectful. <laughs> intentional writing versus neglect. I don't know. Ugh. Well, I think one thing that they are doing right is giving us a sense of these Newman family being being an actual family. Diana says, didn't anyone else find it a bit yucky that Victoria kept putting her spoon in Nick's Sunday at society? I guess a part of me found it nice to show that they're comfortable doing that as a family, but at the same time, I found it annoying. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's the number of times that she did it. <laughs> Oh, I love little things like that, that we can all just hone in on it. That's such a simple thing. We're just going to eat this ice cream and we're going to be so comfortable. I'm going to eat yours. I guess I didn't think about it being gross, but I will say if somebody else was doing that, I don't think I'd like it. Although maybe it is an intimacy thing. I mean, if my own mother wanted to dip into my ice cream, I think I'd be okay with it. But, you know, if a friend, just a friendly friend that I didn't, wasn't family with, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't be okay with it. I'd probably be going, you, you go ahead now. You can have that now that you've got your slobber in it. It is almost like it's double dipping is, is what it is. But, yeah. <laughs> I was pretty honed in on that ice cream scene. But for different reasons, Zuperplex says, you do know that that was the Baskin-Robbins ice cream sundae that was missing the six cents in change owed to Allie. Watch out. She will never forgive or forget. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yes, that was my, my I want my six cents back. <laughs> I went to Baskin-Robbins again. Um, last weekend, yes, last weekend, and I got my correct change, but it's because I went inside the store. <laughs> I have learned my lesson about the drive throughs I will take my Sundays on the inside of the shop from now on. <laughs> oh, from ice cream to alcohol, Keisha says, is it me? Or does anyone else notice that Victoria is seen more and more nursing a glass of wine? She comes home from work and she immediately takes a drink. We see her at society and she's sipping on a glass of wine. Red seems to be her favorite go-to drink. Makes me think of Nikki back in the day. We all know that Billy is, well, Billy. So when Billy Boy crashes and burns, so will Victoria. We saw with JT that Victoria has never been able to handle stress. I wonder if we'll see her turn to the bottle in the new year. 
Could she also be an alcoholic? Wouldn't that be interesting, Keisha? If they're kind of taking Victoria's story to have a similar route to Nikki's and then maybe Nikki can counsel her. I mean, boy, yeah, it's, Lionard has done quite a few alcoholism storylines, but I could see it. I could see them doing it. I noticed that all these people drink all the time. I think it's just because I don't drink, so I, I maybe I notice it quite a lot. But yeah, alcohol definitely plays a pretty big role in these people's lives. They're always sipping on something, always at a bar. <laughs> um, Anna says, did anyone get Billy's joke? Billy actually did meet Jack. Jack Daniels? Only Victoria, oh, I only noticed that Victoria said, give my love to Jack, and Billy picked up uh, his Tennessee whiskey. Oh, I love that, Anna. I did not notice that, but I love a double entendre. Billy lied to Victoria and said he was going to meet with Jack, only he met with Jack Daniels. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that, but gosh, that's good. Ah, oh, that is so good. Well, with all of this drinking and eating ice cream, Diana says, I think it would be a nice touch if Y&R had the characters working out in the beautiful new gym that the Grand Phoenix has to offer. We know there has to be one, but we've yet to see it. We used to see the characters lifting weights and keeping in shape at the athletic club, and now all we see is the characters drinking alcohol or sipping lattes at the coffee house. Yeah, no kidding, Diana. <laughs> First of all, I miss the athletic club. I don't think we'll ever see it again. I think they've retired that set and it's gone. Gone by way of the colonnade room. Um, they have, it, it is, I guess it got too old and stuffy and dusty for them. So it is society and the Grand Phoenix all the way. We'll see who comes out on top and becomes a long-term set. Uh, but yeah, right? We kind of do need a sense of the gym, especially with all this like latte and alcohol and ice cream these people are eating. How else are they supposed to maintain their hot bods? How else are my soap hunks supposed to say hunky? Last week, I asked you guys to give me your top three hunks <laughs> of Y&R. Tony says, Billy has got my number one spot because of that raised eyebrow last week. Number two is Victor. He is still at the top, and the younger versions of him were definitely eye-catching. And Adam's number three. He's a hunk who needs a woman his own age with lots of spark. Mariah? Amanda? Hmm. Oh, well, Tony, I kind of love that you put Victor in your top three. Because it's, it's funny. It's like um, as you get a little bit older, I think sometimes you, you do kind of remember people when they were younger. I remember my mom always being like yummy yummy to these actors and then I'd look them up and it's like that dude's old. <laughs> How can you think he's hot? But I realized now that she's remembering him when he was younger and I do think that Eric Braden was really just so sexy in a rugged way when he was younger and uh, so I love that you included him. They're actually, you, you listed Billy and Adam, also in your top three. A lot of people did. A lot of people said Adam and Billy, they are probably the front runners of hunkiness in the YNR chat. 
opinion. Also, a lot of people mentioned Nick. I mentioned Nick too. Shakona mentioned Nate, and I forgot about Nate, but there is another sexy eyebrow. You can add that to the list with Billy. All these sexy eyebrows. Billy did, I, first of all, Tony, I did see the eyebrow that Billy gave. And he was giving eyebrow at the very end of Friday's show when they were talk when he and Amanda were talking about his perfect life. There was a sexy eyebrow there. And then Nate has his sexy scar eyebrow. And I tell you, the other thing is too, I am thinking that Nate is more and more attractive, especially in his scenes with Amanda, which we're not getting enough of. Makes me wonder if the chemistry just wasn't there with him and Abby. Because I didn't see Nate as sexy when he was with Abby, but there is something about when he's with Amanda that makes me think he's a little bit more hot with his sexy scar brow. <laughs> yeah. And how could I have forgotten Ray? Oh my goodness. When I was listing my top threes, I didn't even think about Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I am appalled with myself. Gary says, um, Allie, you and Ray already crashed and burned on your fried chicken date. <laughs> There's a throwback. Uh, my dream of me and Ray going out on a date and me ordering fried chicken. What was I thinking? Yeah, maybe that's where it ended. Maybe I knew that Ray would never really truly embrace me after he had seen me sticking my face into a fried chicken. And so I just distanced myself from him then and there. <laughs> no, that's not true. I still love Ray. But Gary, I got to say, your top three hunks, really, really, I'm taken with this. So Gary's top three hunks, D Daniela McKellar uh, from Christmas at Dollywood. Now, I don't know her from Christmas at Dollywood, but this is Winnie Cooper to me. To anybody who is an, an 80s kid, uh, Daniela McKellar played Winnie on uh, The Wonder Years, and she is very, very sexy. She is a good-looking lady. Oh, my goodness. Love that pick. Brenda Dixon, Gary also picks. Uh, the, uh, the original Jill. You would say that. <laughs> you would say Brenda Dixon. But I got to tell you, the one that steals the, the, the whole plate for me is Leslie Ann Warren. Oh, my goodness, Gary. I, I love Leslie Ann Warren. Only you would put her in your top three honks. Well, hey, on that note, maybe this week you guys need to give me your top three sexy soap ladies. Who are the top three hottest women on the soap right now? Well, I'm putting Sharon in my top. I think Sharon's probably, well, Sharon and Lauren. And uh, who else is, I, I think Summer. I think Summer is very sexy and sassy. I'll have to keep thinking about it, but I I kind of like those picks. Sharon and Lauren and Summer. You tell me who, who are your top three sexy soap ladies this week? Who are the hottest ladies on the show? Leave them at yrchat.com, along with any other comments that you might have about the show. I sure love hearing from you guys. It is always a bright spot in my week. So go to the website, leave your comments, and don't be shy. Oh, I am just loving all of this Christmas splendor in Genoa City. I think we're going to continue to see it. We got a little, well, just, well, I guess we got a little over a week 
left to go, left to enjoy our, our Christmas. Um, and I sure am gonna do that. There's just something, it's like, I just like seeing our sets change. I like having a sense of the seasons. It makes me feel a little more like it's real in a way. <laughs> Which I know it's not, I assure you. I know sometimes I come off like I, I think it's real, but I assure you, I know that it's not. <laughs> okay, everybody, I am going to get going. But thank you so much for joining me, and I hope you come back again next week. I love you. Bye.